Okay, here we go. This is Are You Ready? Are You Ready is the next episode for Mostly Hairless Apes here at the Church of Science. I was thinking about titles. I'm trying to do this on a regular basis now. I'm trying to get my act together, and I realized <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to move it to the next level. And that's, that's a good thing, because life is change. That's the essence of evolution. It tells us that things change all the time, that things are constantly changing in life. And I've been trying to talk about that on this podcast, and I realized, what would it mean if there were more members of the Church of Science? If people actually believed in science as the best idea we have to explain life, the universe, and everything. And if we had members of the Church of Science, if you were an acolyte of the Church of Science, what would you believe? You would believe that we're evolving social primates who've been on Earth for thousands of years as humans. And humans would include Neanderthals and Denisovans and a variety of other branches of human life, along with all of what we think of as races and ethnicities, all these categories we have. But just being human embodies one really critical trait, that we're conscious, that we're aware of things, we can interact with our environment. And that ability, that trait, that adaptation of consciousness gives us the ability to do this marvelous thing we call artificial selection. Artificial selection is the ability to generate an idea and act on it and cause changes in the world. For billions of years, all there was was natural selection. The basic upward regulation of systems of basic matter and energy moving through time and space, forming patterns probably capturing information. Information is the key thing to resist entropy. Entropy is disorder, randomness, chaos. That's what the physicists tell us. And that was a big thing when they figured it out because it really catalyzed the whole industrial revolution. It allows us to build machines that could do work. And we've had this idea from physics and the subspecialty of thermodynamics. And then people took that and said, well, wait a minute, maybe that can explain life as well. And then once we had life, we figured out, wait a minute, how could, is life like a machine? Well, not exactly. It's, it's a machine in the sense that it's ordered. And that's something that's really amazing, is that you can order certain amounts of matter and energy in time and space, and they can be directed down a certain path. That's evolution. Evolution is the process of capturing some order. It doesn't violate thermodynamics. Physics just says thermodynamics operates within different levels of systems. You can have open systems and closed systems. And I'm sure there are other systems that physicists could tell us about for specialized states of matter and energy. But at the very least, biological systems, living organisms, are open thermodynamic systems. We constantly take in matter and energy, and we use it to maintain a degree of order. 
based on the information we have. The information we have says we can stay alive. We can grow and reproduce. And that's all biological organisms did for billions of years. Going back to the primordial soup of Earth, three and a half billion years ago is the current estimate. There's, there's some play on that number, a few hundred million years. Now, when you're talking about that time scale, it's hard to nail it down to days of the week. Yeah, but that's that scalar value of us understanding time is just a piece of information that we've acquired based on the evidence. And that's what we do at the Church of Science. We accept that there are constant rules in the universe, and because there are constant rules in the universe, we can figure them out. If we can make observations and do experiments and make measurements, generate good explanations, then we can understand how things work. That's, what, that's science. We all learn the scientific method somewhere back in grade school, hopefully, maybe in high school. Hopefully somewhere along the way you were told that science involves observing how the universe works, making a hypothesis, an educated guess. Now, hypothesis is a little tricky term because it's, it's got to be a testable hypothesis to be a really scientific hypothesis. You have to be able to say, this is how the world works, I think. And here's why I think this. That's the whole thing with science is you have to explain yourself. You have to give a reasonable justification for why we should think that's true. And that's where it differs from other belief systems. That's why belonging to the Church of Science is its own club. Because we've been trying to figure stuff out for thousands of years. Consciousness probably evolved minimum 50,000 years ago. Probably longer. And other animals might be conscious. At the very least, we think humans are conscious. And when that develops in an individual lifespan varies. But we all become self-aware. We all become aware of the universe around us to a different extent, depending on our education. And we understand that certain things follow certain rules. Gravity works. Oh, hot and cold. Whatever you want to talk about. We, we learn vocabulary. We learn all these titles for things. And they basically capture ideas. That's the essence of artificial selection. That's what a non-conscious organism doesn't have. They have reactions. They have they might have emotions even. When we talk about emotions, those are biological pieces of information. That's how an organism can survive and reproduce that is not conscious. They've evolved neural and hormonal mechanisms. They secrete signal molecules. We call them neurotransmitters or hormones. And those chemicals flux through their bodies, throwing little switches, little molecular switches that change behavior and change physiology and change anatomy over time. And that's development and growth. And that's been working on all the way back through our ancestry. If we wanted to follow human ancestry, we could go back to that primordial soup, to the primordial ooze when the first cells emerged, gave us the essence of what we think of as biological life. And they were prokaryotes, bacteria, cell, single-celled organisms that eventually merged after years into complex cells that we call eukaryotic organisms, cells with nuclei and other little membrane compartments becoming more specialized. Because that 
is one of the things about evolution. There's two main ways living systems can interact. Once you have life, you have to, you're an open thermodynamic system. You have to take in resources. And so if you're dealing with other forms of life that want the same resources, we have to compete for them. Or we can cooperate. That was the big leap, I think, from prokaryotes to eukaryotes. Systems figured out how to become more specialized, how to integrate functions, how to take in additional pieces of information and work with them and cooperate to produce something that's greater than the sum of the parts. That's one way to look at evolution, is to think about it as emerging levels of complexity, phase changes, perhaps. The idea that when you assemble a bunch of water molecules at the right temperature, they're liquid and they can flow and they're going to follow certain patterns because they flow and they're liquid. But then it, if the temperature drops and the molecules align themselves into a solid matrix and they freeze, and we call that ice, ice behaves differently than water. It's the same stuff. It's the same H2O molecules, but because of the available energy, the temperature, measured by temperature in this case, the phase changes, the state of the matter changes. And ice behaves differently than water, even though it's the same stuff, because matter has to interact with energy. That's how the universe works. And they do it over space and time at different scales. But evolution says it doesn't always have to run down to disorder. If you can capture some information, if you can have some information, based, which is a code, a code for a pattern of matter and energy, a code for a flow of matter and energy between systems, then you can stay alive. Then you can be alive and control your own life. You can organize within a self-contained system. Chemical evolution occurs. Chemi chemicals can interact and bond together and form bigger structures. But that's dependent upon the environmental conditions. What's the temperature? What's the concentration? Who's controlling that? Is the planet and the sun controlling that based on a natural system? That's how we got primordial soup in the first place. And it took billions of years, hundreds of millions at least, to make those first cells on that primordial planet that we call Earth. And then cells came along, and they hung around, and, and bacteria evolved. And then that's all there was for a billion years. And approximately a billion years later, eukaryotes evolved. And eukaryotes became complex cells. They integrated other cells, a process called endosymbiosis. We had mitochondria and chloroplasts. And we had unified cellular compartments that worked together to do things differently, to survive in a different way, to become a little more complex, to have multiple information sources. Because that's what, there's DNA in mitochondria, and there's DNA in, in chloroplasts, just like there's DNA in a cell nucleus. And so eukaryotic cells hung around for another billion years. And then somewhere around over a billion years ago, we started to get multicellular life. We had different combinations experimenting throughout history. And eventually we got plants and animals. We got systems that could move around. Animals have the unique property of being able to move around as multicellular clusters. And they have basic cellular functions that become specialized. That's the beauty of cooperation. If I can have 
help, if I can have some help in accessing nutrients and growing, then I can take cells and specialize. I can not have to do everything myself. That's the challenge for a bacterium. It's got to acquire nutrients. It's got to find nutrients. It's got to move towards nutrients. It's got to store those nutrients. It's got to build up enough nutrients to divide into another cell. And when does it do that? It's all got to do that within one cellular compartment. But if I'm a multicellular organism, I can have cells get become specialized. I can have some specialized for movement. I can have some specialized for signaling. I can some have some specialized for nutrition. Uh, I can have a digestive system and a muscular system and a nervous system. And I can take those cells and specialize them into different things. And that's one way life goes on. And we have these animals. And then about a half a billion years ago, about 500 million years ago, some animals pulled a, pulled a great trick. They shifted the framework of their bodies. They became what we call chordates in biology. And those chordates put the skeleton on the inside. Most animals, the majority of animals on Earth, use what we would think of as an exoskeleton. They hide inside of a shell. And it might be movable shells like arthropods. That's a really great adaptation. Insects are quite successful in the game of life. And that's, those guys do their own thing. They hide inside their shells. Some of them have jointed shells like arthropods. Other ones are just live inside one big shell like a mollusk, like a clam or a, uh, or, or a mussel. But chordates did something different. They took the skeleton, the, the support system, and they put it on the inside, and they hung the muscles on that. And chordates evolved. Into, some of them became vertebrates. They added bone and cartilage. And they had endoskeletons then that muscles could hang on. And then they, be, and they became fishes. And fishes could swim around and grow really big and eat other things. Some fishes figured out how to adapt a jaw. They evolved jaws and teeth. And then we see a whole bunch of different shells on, or defensive mechanisms on fish. We get lots of more scales. Scales are nasty for a reason. They're a defense mechanism. That's why you can cut yourself on fish scales. They're sharp. you got to fight off those teeth. And eventually some vertebrates said, Oh, fuck it. I'm moving up on land. I'm going to go up on land and move out. And we had lung, we had lungfish first, and then we had uh, coelacanth, and we had tiktalik, and we had ichthyostega, and we had all these fossil animals that became land vertebrates. And those were the amphibians. And the amphibians, some of them still survive. There's not as many amphibians as there used to be because reptiles came along. Amphibians are the first of the tetrapods who grow four limbs. They figured out that pattern for life. And once we had tetrapods, we moved away from the water. We were able to get out of the water and avoid some of the competition and move up on land. Uh, but Arthur, but but amphibians still had to go back to the water to reproduce. They have to lay their eggs in the pond. Uh, but then came the amnion. Some people, some animals evolved the the adaptation to put their babies inside water and take it with them. That's what an amnion is. The amniotic sac that we all grow in inside of our uterus started with reptiles. Started with reptiles 
hundreds, 300, 400, ah, amniots are 350 million years old. 400 million years old, we get the first reptiles, somewhere in that range. And the reptiles moved up around on land and were able to get away from water and lay their eggs and be successful. So successful that we had the age of the dinosaurs over the last few hundred million years. Until that meteor hit about 65 million years ago. Threw a curveball at us, the universe did. And that universal curveball of the meteorite, the KT meteorite that hit Earth, estimates on that was it was several miles in diameter probably five or six miles moving somewhere north of 20,000 miles an hour I've seen estimates up to 50,000 miles an hour and physics tells us that force equals mass times acceleration or deceleration so it takes something that's miles in diameter that's moving at tens of thousands of miles per hour and that's a lot of force that's a lot of mass uh, and it's not it's deceleration in this case instead of acceleration negative acceleration it's deceleration and that hit earth uh, what we think of now as the gulf of mexico changed the planet and mammals had their chance mammals evolved from reptiles hundreds of millions of years ago the first mammals show up in that same area that, went, that the dinosaurs were king the jurassic we get the first mammals back in the Triassic into the Jurassic, and we have small mammals that we can find in the fossil record. Mammals are recognizable because of mammary glands. That's the We took our nutrients with us. Not only could we take our amnion with us and take the babies with us, eventually we became uh, carried the babies in uteri. Now, initially, the mammals laid eggs. There's a few of those guys left. The duck-billed platypus, platypus, the spiny echidna. Those are egg-laying mammals that evolved from our reptilian ancestors. But eventually we had mammals with uteri, placental mammals came along and attached a placental appendage, an adaptation that grew into the umbilical cord so that mom could feed the embryo in utero. And eventually the baby comes out. And then we had mammary glands to feed the embryo longer and take it with us. And mammary glands, because you're going to drink and you have to breathe, Mammals have different skulls. We separate our nasal cavity from our oral cavity so that we can breathe and drink at the same time. And so we got placental mammals coming along. And then eventually some of those mammals evolved a really useful adaptation that we think of as opposable thumbs. And that gave us the primates. And the primates evolved eventually into the great apes, some of them. There's hundreds of species of primates alive now probably plenty of extinct ones. And some of those great apes became hominins, became the upright apes, and became human-like. And we had Australopithecus. We had the famous Lucy fossils that showed us our ancestors were walking upright. We see a rapid increase in brain size. Humans, whenever we became fully human, one of the key things is... We adapted for brain size to go with those opposable thumbs. We're tool users. We figured out how to manipulate the universe. And that's the essence of artificial selection. That's what humans do. We're evolving social primates, mostly hairless apes, 
How did we? Why did we lose our hair? That's a separate question. We'll we'll address that at a later date. I kind of like the river ape hypothesis. Uh, we're not quite sure what was the exact selective pressure that caused us to lose most of our body hair. We still have those silly little muscles that attach to our hairs and give us goosebumps when we're afraid or when we're cold, because if you have a lot of hair, those are functional responses. If you don't have a lot of hair, those responses are kind of useless. But that's how evolution works. Whatever works at the time, whatever gives you the best chance now, that's what gets selected for. And for billions of years, it was natural selection. Natural selection says, hey, can you stay alive? Can you not go extinct as a species? Can at least some of you stay alive? That's what makes us evolving social primates. But when, when consciousness came along, consciousness gave us the ability to actually think about stuff and remember things and think about what the future might be and how it could be different. And that's when we started to become civilized. Uh, animals have societies. There's a lot of sociobiology out there that you could study. Uh, you have migratory animals that migrate in packs and they socialize. You get bird flocks migrating. Lots of animals are social. Whether they're conscious or not, that's, that's a tricky question. But at the very least, we acknowledge that we are. Humans are conscious. And when conscious humans have the ability to think about stuff, and eventually we became conscious enough to say, hey, we can change reality. We don't have to just hunt and gather. We can make tools. We can make cave art. We can carve things. And we did that for thousands of years. And then eventually we figured out, hey, wait a minute. I could actually plant things. I can actually herd animals. And we could domesticate all these animals. We did it first with wolves, and we made dogs. That's probably the oldest domesticated animal. Eh, the oldest domesticated animal that we wanted. Fleas probably evolved with us well before we had dogs. But that's a separate, that's enough another research question. That was unintentional. I'm sure we would prefer not to have fleas if we could do that. But that's once again those successful arthropods. They're pretty sneaky that way. They're, they survive on their own. But we kept building civilizations. And we eventually built this global civilization. We're the alpha predators on the planet. How did we get here? We domesticated crops and animals. We built up excesses of food so that we could have some leisure time. We figured out how to ferment beverages. We had 5,000-year-old beer recipes. People figured out how to make wine and beer and make bread. And we could sit around and relax a little bit. And once we started to be able to have the ability to relax a little bit, we had some surplus we started making civilizations. We started making specialty. We started doing arts. We started doing science. We started doing business. We made markets and developed economies. We evolved governments to have rules. And then we also evolved belief systems. We evolved belief systems to tell us, to explain things. Because we, as much as our brains work to figure out answers, to keep asking questions, we don't have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers. And that's why we need beliefs. That's actually where America, I think, screwed up when they said, oh, everybody has freedom of belief. That means we can argue about stuff. Because that's what Americans like to do. They like to argue about stuff because they believe different things. But if you want to have a civilization, there has to at least be one thing that you share. You have to be one belief that you share. Because if you don't all at least have one core belief you can agree on, you're going to disagree about everything because ultimately belief 
is necessary. Humans have to have belief to have a civilization because otherwise we're going to run into a point where we can't answer a question. And if you can't answer a question to somebody's satisfaction, they're going to go find their own answer. And when they find their own answer, it might be different than your answer. And if your answer is different than their answer, and if it conflicts with their answer, you might end up fighting about it. And if you're fighting, you can't have a civilization. You can't be civilized and have a fight. The whole point of civilization is cooperation. That's, that's the choices in life. Way back from evolutionary history, you either compete or you cooperate. Those are your choices. Uh, well, you can get out of the way if you can hide, but that's a separate issue. But most of the time, it's competition or cooperation for any given system. And most organisms evolved into functional ecosystems. They found compatible ways to trade off nutrients and, and occupy their niches in different ecosystems. And life works. And humans did the same thing until we figured out artificial selection and we figured out how to manipulate ecosystems, how to domesticate organisms, how to alter the environment and create all of these artificial things. That's, that's really what artificial means. We talk about human-made. Humans make stuff. They, all, they change things. And why do we do it? We do it because of consciousness, because we can think about things. We can imagine things. And we can think of better ways to do stuff. Sometimes we think of worse ways to do stuff. But guess what? Evolution says the worst stuff gets selected against and eventually goes extinct. The stuff that works sticks around. And that's where I was confused for a long time because I got fed up with religion years ago. And my wife says it was 9-11 when I realized people could kill each other in my lifetime for religion. I mean, I'd read about the Crusades. And I'd read about the Holocaust. And I said, oh, older humans used to kill each other about religion. Oh, let's kill the Jews. Let's kill the Muslims. Let's kill the Christians. Whoever we're going to kill is people we don't like because they don't believe the same thing we do. And I thought, that's really stupid. <laughs> let's not do that. I'm going to be an atheist. I'm not going to have any religion. But I have to have belief. Because I don't have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers. And that's where the Church of Science comes in. The Church of Science says, hey, here's a belief system that you don't have to have any gods with. Gods are interesting. Gods, we've had thousands of gods. You go through history and you could look at the history of gods and talk about animalist, animist religions where they have different spirits. We've got the force, with, you know, which is a remnant of that. We've got polytheistic religions with pantheons of deities. We have monotheistic religions with one God, one true God. We have the Christian Trinity God, which is just, I think, there to confuse you. Uh, you could have Allah. You could have Buddha. You could have all these different deities, and they all sit out there. And it made sense to me then why religions last. Because you need to have something to believe in. If you haven't, if everybody's going to organize, if we're going to cooperate and have a civilization of conscious humans, of evolving social primates with conscious brains, brains ask questions. You need answers. And if we're going to organize a society, eventually we're going to get to the point where somebody asks a question that you can't answer. And it's a really comfortable thing to say, it's in God's hands. We'll let God take care of it. 
that's a really nice answer if you all believe in the same God. If you can all say, my God will eventually take care of us. We are the children of God. We're the tribes of Israel. We are the offspring of the deity, however you want to think about it. Gods give us an answer. And we get to throw all of our questions in the God box and not worry about them and get on with life. That's a beautiful thing. That's why religions have persisted for so long. Because they give us answers to the unknown questions. We say it's God's reason. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Only God knows. And all of these things throughout history have been used to organize civilizations. And different ones at different points have had advantages and disadvantages. And evolution selected for the most useful ones, the ones that built the best civilizations. And we're currently at a point in history where Western civilizations with their Christian gods became the dominant social systems, the dominant civilizations. And we coupled that with capitalism, with ownership of property. That became one of the adaptations that worked along with a government. You know, the one that peaked in its most efficiency in terms of being a global civilization. We had the Romans, we had the Greeks, we had the uh, Muslim empires a thousand years ago. We had the caliphate. We've had the Chinese dynasties. But about five, well, thousands, hundreds of years ago, we had the English government start, the British Empire. And they probably peaked as the last big empire. The British Empire existed... It still exists, it's, but it's on, it's on the decline. But it probably peaked about 100 years ago, right before World War I, where the sun never set on the British Empire. And the sun never set on the British Empire because they'd taken over about a quarter of the planet. They ruled about a quarter of the planet, about a quarter of the people that were in that planet. And while they did that, they took over everything. And now... Then, then people said, well, wait a minute, why are they in charge? Let's see what's going on with them. And we, people got fed up with that. And then we had the 20th century. People said, well, we don't want that empire. Uh, we'll have different empires. We'll have Hitler. We'll have this, the, the Russians took did the Soviet rebellion. And they kicked out their king. We got rid of kings and monarchs. And we said, we're going to do this democracy thing. And then we had democracy and capitalism. And that's where we are right now. We're fighting that out. And that's what we need to get ready for, because the next big revolution, if we want it, is science. And that's what we're going to talk about next time.